right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Riverwood Church. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor for Riverwood, and really, really glad you're here, whether you're joining us uh, here in person or you are joining us online. If you're here in person, when you came in, hopefully one of our ushers got you one of our handouts. Inside of there are a number of our uh, announcements. I'm not going to take the time to read all of those, but you guys can, and I know, kids, hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. There's a reason. You're here for a reason. Hang on. Um, but uh, if uh, you have that handout, inside of that is a connection card. Um, our church family fills that connection card out every single week. Uh, we just put our name on the top, and then on the back we put prayer requests. Uh, if we sign up for various things, uh, you know, use it for whatever. Um, but if you're a first-time guest and you're willing to fill that out, uh, if you'll drop that in our giving box, we will donate $5 to Compassion International on your behalf. Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They work through local churches all around the world. They help kids get an education. They help provide them with some food, some clothing. But ultimately, they're one of these kids to have every opportunity to hear about the life-changing news of Jesus. And what we believe can happen is as you change the life of a child, you end up changing a family. And as you change a bunch of families, you change a community. And as you change a bunch of communities, you end up changing the world. So we'd love to honor your presence with us this morning and make that $5 donation. We just need you to let us know that you're here. If you're online, you can do the same thing. Uh, just send us an email to riverwood at weareriverwood.org, and we will also send $5 on your behalf. Uh, all right, uh, tonight uh, we are hanging out at the Badura's house, uh, so you can see the address uh, up there on the, the notes uh, or uh, in, in your handout, uh, so please come. Uh, they're going to have some s'mores. Uh, please bring some snacks to enjoy. If you have an outdoor game, they've got some stuff. They even have a trampoline, kids. Uh, all right, so moms and dads, you can already start praying that none of your children break any bones or anything. It's going to be a ton of fun. All right, so just come hang out tonight uh, for an hour, two hours, whenever the Baduras kick us out, uh, but just come and enjoy. They live on a cul-de-sac, and so there's not a ton of parking. So some of you, if possible, you might want to carpool over or just be prepared to make the trek up the hill. They do live on top of a hill. I've always wondered how they get home when there's a big snowstorm, but they somehow do it. Uh, all right, but it's going to be a ton of fun uh, tonight, so please come hang out with us. Then in a couple of weeks, we've got a couple of big things happening. Uh, first of all, we're going to have volunteer appreciation. We're calling it volunteer roundup. Basically, for those of you who are already volunteering, we just want to say thank you. So we're going to provide a hot dog meal, but we also want to just kind of cast vision for this next year. As, we, as school's getting started and, and we kind of hit into a new groove, we just want to kind of remind you, here's what Riverwood's all about. But also, some of you, you're not serving, or maybe there's areas that you, you want to be serving in. This is the perfect opportunity to come and hear about various opportunities that exist within Riverwood and in our community. So if you would, please sign up. Let us know that you can come, because we want to make sure we have enough food. So use your connection card to sign up for Volunteer Roundup, or send an email to riverwood at weareriverwood.org, and Minette will get you on the list, and we will make sure to have a couple of hot dogs for you as well. Uh, and then also on that Sunday, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series. Uh, it's going to be called the Imago Dei, and that is Latin for the image of God. As I, this past spring, was just kind of considering everything in our world and what's been going on, I just kept feeling like, man, if people just understood the doctrine of the Imago Dei, if they just understood how crucial it is that we are made in the image of God, it would help us in our perspective on a number of issues. And so talking with the elders, talking with Jake, we decided to do this series uh, this fall. So because this is going to be a key critical uh, series, 
we've given you some uh, invite cards. Inside your uh, invite card is what, one or two little uh, cards. If you want more, there's more on the resource table. There's some back on the cafe table. Uh, they're kind of spread out through er uh, everywhere. Just take whatever you need and give them to a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. Right? And for five weeks, we're going to talk about what, does, what difference does it make that people are made in the image of God. We may not convince people of everything, but at least they may understand kind of where we as a church come from and what we believe God teaches. And we believe it will help bring some, to inform us on issues like abortion, on issues of sexuality, on issues of race, a lot of the hot button issues of our day. My hope and prayer is that as we as a church understand that it will just unleash us to be a church of love and that we would just make a tremendous difference in the world and even be able to have relations with those who may disagree with us politically and, and philosophically and theologically on some of these issues. All right, so please come yourself, but then feel free to invite some other people to come and be a part of that five-week series starting September 11th. All right, now, kids, you're probably wondering, why in the world did I make you sit through all of that? That was boring. You could have been had way more fun already because school is getting ready to start All right, for those of you online that didn't hear, the parents cheered and the children jeered, all right? But kids, we want to pray for you. This is a big step. You're heading into another school year, and so we want to see you just absolutely thrive. Whether you're going public school, private school, homeschool, we want this to be a great year of education, of great like growth uh, personally, but also this could be a great year for you spiritually. So I'm going to invite all the kids to come up front and we, the parents and the church family, are going to pray for you, all right? I promise not to bite, all right? I did wash my hands. I don't have cooties. I won't punch you, even though Galen would like it if we got into a fight. All right, for those of you online, you don't know, but Galen and I have a, a basically an MMA fight every other week. Okay, all right. All right, no, you can't go back to your seat. What you can do is listen as I pray for you. So moms and dads, would you join me? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious lives that are up here. These kids are known by you. They matter deeply to you. And so it is a thrill for, to have them part of our church family. It's a thrill for us to get to teach them in Kids Creek. It's, it's a thrill to have them just bring their joy and their energy as we seek to help them know you and follow you. But God, as they get ready to head into a school year, we pray that this would be just a tremendous year, that this would be a year of great uh, growth for them uh, academically, but also for them spiritually. And so, Lord, I pray that the learning that takes place this year, that you would uh, help their teachers to teach them well uh, and clearly, uh, that these kids would be the, the great leaders in their classrooms, that they would be the kindest people, they would, they would reach the outcast, uh, that these kids would make a difference. And, and, and uh, whether it's in a public school or homeschool, wherever they go, that they would be a blessing uh, to their peers, to their siblings, to their parents, to their teachers. So, Father, I just pray you would work in them as we look forward to watching you work through them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now you can go to Kids Creek. All right, thank you, guys. Oh, now I'm wishing I had an opening story about children. Uh, well, uh, when Leanne and I, about 13 months after we got married and about two months after our college graduation, we jumped in the car and drove to Chicago, Illinois, where we participated in a three-week-long missionary candidate school. I used to tell people that we went to candidate school, and they thought I said Canada school. 
no, we did not learn about our northern neighbor. We were learning about what it would mean to be a missionary overseas. We were applying to become missionaries to Venezuela and work at a school called Christensen Academy. But it meant we had to participate in this three-week school where they basically po uh, poked and prodded every part of our spiritual lives, our, 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 our theology, our, our mental health. I mean, it was all of it to see if we were going to be qualified to go and serve in Venezuela. Well, because it was a uh, Christian missionary training, they decided to start things on a Sunday morning. So I think we got there probably Saturday night, checked in. We were staying on uh, the campus of Judson College, staying in the dorms. So we made our way to the chapel that Sunday morning. Haven't really met too many people yet. And as we walk in, there's a group of people up at the stage. And it was pretty obvious that these are the leaders. But as I'm observing them, there was one particular guy that stood out. And not because he was taller than everyone else or, you know, bigger. No, actually it was the opposite. He was a little shorter than everyone else. His suit was a little too big for him. He had this huge bushy mustache, these great oversized glasses, and this grin just plastered on his face. Like, the grin did not go away. The, the guy just seemed a little bit odd to me. He just seemed goofy. And in my mind, I thought, that's the guy who wishes he could be a missionary, but can't. And so he hangs out with the cool missionaries, just trying to bask in their glory. And because they're a bunch of nice Christians, they include him, make him feel loved, but even they know this guy will never be a missionary. Now, yes, that was very judgmental of me. It was very incorrect. But the reason I tell you that story is so you might know how wrong I was. It turns out that that guy with the goofy grin was Ed Lewis. And Ed was not a wannabe missionary, he was a legend. He had served in Austria for over 10 years, <laughs> and he went on to help smuggle Bibles into the USSR and saw God do the craziest things. Ed told us all these crazy, crazy stories, and, and, and God just worked miraculously. So this wasn't a wannabe missionary. No, this was the missionary everyone wanted to be. Ed was a legend. This guy had one of the sharpest minds you would ever encounter. Ed had books of the Bible memorized. Not just like a verse here and there. Entire books. He had the entire book of Hebrews memorized. He, he, he showed us. He just starts quoting off. He starts in chapter 1, starts heading into chapter 2. And he could have kept going. He also had this incredible ability to speak in really, really fast. Anyone listen to like podcasts? All right, you, you can like speed up your podcast. I listen to all my podcasts on 1.5 speed. Just get through them a little faster. You couldn't do that with Ed. To put it on 1.5 would be putting it like 3.5. The guy spoke so fast, and yet he enunciated so clearly, so crisply, you understood everything he said. If you've ever heard me leading a meeting and at the end of it I say, so any comments, questions, or violent disagreements? I stole that from Ed Lewis. If anyone at that three-week missionary candidate school was kind of um, a goofy nerd, it was not Ed Lewis. It was me for having such an incorrect impression of this guy. Anyone done something similar? You get an impression of someone, you, you kind of think, oh, I, that's kind of who this is. And then it turns out you're way wrong. Maybe you saw a guy with a bushy mustache kind of a goofy grin, and you kind of thought, eh, and turns out, no, he's like really, really amazing. Maybe, maybe you met someone who just, they're incredibly good looking, just all this charisma about them, and then it turns out that underneath, they're really mean. They're, they're narcissistic. 
Maybe you saw someone and you kind of thought, man, they must not make very much money. And it turns out that they actually have a huge bank account. Or vice versa, you saw someone and thought, man, they must be really, really wealthy. And it turns out they're so far deep into debt, they should really not even qualify for the poverty line. Or maybe you met someone and you thought they were a certain age and it turns out you were way off. That's probably everyone in here when it relates to me. We've all done it. We've all gotten an impression of someone, and it turns out we were wrong. I think a lot of people have a wrong impression of Jesus. There's some people who just have this impression that he's like some great spiritual guru, a great moral teacher. Other people, they, they read the scriptures and they see kind of the kind things he did. And he was just a super nice guy. Other people see some passages in scripture and they think, man, this guy was a jerk. Other people get the impression like, well, they say he's a king. Other, other people have the impression that, well, you know, he was just a man. There's all these opinions about who he was. And the reason we know these opinions is because what is said. There are professional Christians who make excuses for the decisions they make in the name of Jesus. There are uh, politicians who justify the way that they vote or even the way they treat their opponents based on the reputation of Christ. The magazines put his face on their cover every year. The theologians debate him constantly on, on podcasts and at conferences. People are always trying to say, here's who Jesus is. But what if they have the wrong impression? I think the Apostle Paul feared that this could happen to this brand new church in the small city of Colossae. There are these brand new Christians, and they've heard about this Jesus through a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras comes from Ephesus with some other uh, disciples. They share the gospel in Colossae. Some people believe in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, but now there's all these cults. There's all this teaching. There's even some Jewish ideas of who this supposed Messiah was, or depending on who you talk to, is. And I think Paul worried that some of them maybe began believing, here's who Jesus is, but because of the various voices, they would drift away and they'd end up with the wrong impression. That is why Paul, to a city he'd never been to, to a church he'd never visited, to a people he'd never seen, gave them one of the greatest gifts he possibly could have given. He gave them one of the clearest most poetical, most beautiful, most powerful descriptions of Jesus anywhere in the scriptures because he wanted to eliminate any chance they'd get the wrong impression. And the thing is, some of us, we think we have the right impression, but as we're going to hear today, there may be some ways that we're misunderstanding Jesus or we've forgotten something about who he is. And so just like Paul to his readers, I want to bring to you today Colossians 1, and help you not have a wrong impression. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be doing verses 15 through 20. If you do not have a Bible with you, we're going to put the scripture on the screen because we want you to read right along. We just really encourage you to get a Bible into your hands. Now, if you already have a Bible on your phone, totally feel free to pull that out. If you look around, you'll see several people have already done that. Feel free to open up the Bible app because by practicing doing that here on Sunday morning, it'll just make it a little easier to do it tomorrow on Monday. If you'd rather go old school and have a paper Bible, 
We have two different translations on our resource table. We'd love for you to just stop by, pick one of those up, and that would be our gift to you so that when you come back next week, you have a Bible that you can open up with us on Sunday as well. Uh, before we read Colossians 1, verses uh, 15 through 20, let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we pause before we read these timeless words because we recognize that these words have existed before any of us took our first breath on this earth, and these words will remain after we have breathed our last. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us as we come into this with our, our own past, our own baggage, our own biases, our own perspectives, that for the moment we would set those down and set those aside and let you speak to us. And so that's why, God, I just ask that you would help me to speak clearly, that I would not try to just force this through my own perspective, but that instead I would be faithful and to teach this the way you have wanted it to be shared with your people. Because, God, you want us to see Jesus clearly. And so, Lord, I pray that you just begin to shatter some impressions, that we would begin to see very clearly who Jesus was and is, so that that would make all the difference in our lives. Because, God, if we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, we, we really need to good, get a good, clear picture of who he truly was and is. That's why we ask for you to be our teacher, to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Anytime you study a passage like this, one technique, Bible study technique you can uh, apply is looking for patterns or repetitious words. So as I read that aloud and as you were looking there on your phones or in your Bibles, maybe you noticed the same two-word phrase that jumped out at me. As I began studying it this week, I noticed that Paul uses the phrase, all things, several times. In the ESV, they have it translated in there five times in these six verses. And as I studied through it, I think it's kind of inherent in two other places. So I would argue that there's seven times Paul is using this idea of all things. What we're going to see today is Paul wanted his readers, and by extension us, to understand five things about Jesus. That he is a God of all things, he's over all things, he's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the reconciler of all things. Now, if you are a note taker, there are some blanks. You can fill those blanks in there and take notes along with this. But those are the five things we're going to see out of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The first thing is that Jesus is God of all things, and we see this right away in verse 15. 
Paul writes that he, Jesus, all right? Now, we know it's Jesus because back in verses 13 and 14, which we looked at last week, it was very clearly about Christ. It's continuing to flow out of that. So when you put it in context, you realize the he is, is Christ. So he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In a moment, we're going to get to that word firstborn. So let's first look at the first half of, of this verse. He is the image of the invisible God. In this short phrase, Paul packs a ton of theological truth. Right? The, the first thing is that God. Right? He, he just assumes there is a God. But then he describes that God as invisible, which just like we're not surprised that he mentions God, we're not surprised that he calls God invisible. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 9 says that God is spirit. Spirits are invisible. And so God is invisible. What is surprising in this though is that he describes Jesus as the image of God. Some translations, just to make it abundantly clear, say that he's the visible image of the invisible God. Anyone here ever walked through a room in the dark? Yeah. E even in a room that you are familiar with, you still tend to just go a little slower. You tend to just kind of put your hands out. Right? Many of you don't know this, but uh, oftentimes here at Riverwood, uh, I'll be taking stuff out to the trash or to the recycling bin, and we, we park those back here. And this room is dark. Now, I walk right by the light switch, but I'm cheap. I don't turn on the light. I walk through the dark in here because I'm stupid enough to think that that exit sign and the little nightlight that's over there will be enough for me to see. However, one time, I whacked the chair that Sam is sitting in, and ever since, I kind of walked through the dark like this. Now, all I would have to do is pull out my phone, pop on the flashlight, or hit the button and turn on the lights, and I would walk with a lot more confidence. Jesus is our flashlight to God. If God is invisible, it's almost like he's in the dark, and some of us find ourselves going to God like this. But when you realize that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, you can approach God with so much more confidence. Why? Because you can see through Jesus that God is love. Yes, the scriptures say God is love. There it is. But it's one thing to read it, to understand it. It's another thing to experience it. When you see that Jesus gave his life willingly, for the sins of humanity, you realize he gave the ultimate sacrifice that that is true love. We also know that God cares for us, not just because it tells us in 1 Peter 5, but because Jesus showed care for the people. He fed the 5,000. He healed people. He, he spent time with them. He taught them. He cared deeply. If you want to understand what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Now, maybe you're kind of on the skeptical side of things, and you're thinking, yeah, but Aaron, maybe he's just like an avatar. You know, maybe he's like an ambassador. You know, like, you can't really see the United States. You know, it's, we're a, a mass land. But when we send, you know, emissaries, ambassadors, they represent. So maybe, like, Jesus just simply represents that you know, he's not actually God, but he just, you know, represents God. Well, I think Paul maybe anticipated that. That's why he clarified even further down in verse 19. He says that for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Most of you know I have uh, four children. Uh, one of my delights as a dad 
was watching my kids engage in activities that they wanted to do and they were good at. Like, it was so much fun to watch my daughter go out for mock trial. I had never tried anything like that in my life. And she was a natural. She was good. I used to tease her, like, do not become a lawyer and remind me never to get into a debate with you because you will win every single time. She was so good. My daughter, Megan, is an artist. And I can look at her stuff and I realize I am not just a biased dad. Like, she is talented. People pay her money for her art. She's good. The last four years, I have had so much fun watching my son Salem become a leader on the robotics team. This kid just gets it. He, he just comes alive. That's why it's no surprise that he's headed, he's at Iowa State now, going to begin classes tomorrow starting on a mechanical engineering degree. And for the last several summers, I've had so much fun either sitting in the stands or being down on the field watching my son Zion play baseball. Like this kid just gets the sport I think God looks at Jesus and just there's a part of him that just swells with pride and is just like, man, it's so much fun to see my nature in him. Now, now, don't get this wrong. Jesus is a part of the Trinity. The Bible teaches us that there's one God, but that one God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And even though there are three distinct persons, they are of one essence, one nature. They are one God. So God the Father is fully God, God the Spirit is fully God, and God the Son is fully God. But as Jesus took on human flesh, incarnated into this world to dwell among us, the fullness of God came with him, and God just delighted like a proud father, like, that's my kid and I love to see my nature, who I am in him, because we are one. Jesus is fully God. That is why we can say that the first thing that Paul wants us to get, the first all thing, is that he is God of all things. Now, Paul could have stopped there. Like, if you work things out theologically, the next four things we're going to see, that they all flow out of this idea that he is God of all things. But again, Paul's writing to a group of people who are in a place where there's Greek philosophy. They believe in multiple gods. There, there's some of the Jewish people who do not believe that, that Jesus was God. They have some different ideas about who God is. There were cults around who had all sorts of ideas. So he wants to make it abundantly clear what it means for Jesus to be God of all things. That's why the next thing he points out is that Jesus is over all things. We see this in the second half there of verse 15. After saying Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, Paul writes that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, we uh, Western-minded Americans, we think very linearly, uh, very chronologically. So when we see the word firstborn, we're thinking, oh, that's the first kid that came out of the womb, the first one born. Well, in an ancient Jewish Eastern mindset, that was part of it. But just as important was the idea of position and authority. So when they heard firstborn, it wasn't just the first one who was actually born. It may actually be someone else who's put in the place of prominence. For instance, in uh, Genesis chapter 25, we have the story of Esau and Jacob. Esau is born first. They're twins, but Esau's born first, so he is the firstborn. And yet later in chapter 25, the boys are a bit older, and Esau, as a fool sells off his birthright, his place as the firstborn, to his brother Jacob for a bowl of soup. And Jacob becomes the firstborn. Even though nothing changed chronologically, 
things changed in authority, in position, and Jacob became the firstborn. Another example, in Psalm 89, the, the poet is writing all about King David, talking about just how great David is. And in verse 27, he calls him the firstborn of kings. Now, David wasn't even the first king of Israel, let alone the first king ever on earth. And yet, the verse says that he's the firstborn, the highest of the kings. So this is about authority, the place of, of, of position, being over all things. And just again, to make it abundantly clear, he explains what this means for him to be the firstborn. Skip down to verse 18. What we're going to see here in 18 is that Jesus is over the church, he's over the living and over the dead. Verse 18 says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, the ESV uses that word preeminent. It's a kind of a big fancy word. It just simply means over all things. It's, it's the place where it stands out. It comes first. Like Think of like the gold medal winner. Right? They're in the place of prominence. They are preeminent if they continue to win it all the time. They're above everything else. And to make it abundantly clear, he says that he's first, Jesus is over the church. Right? This is why at Riverwood, we're doing everything we can to not make Riverwood Aaron Bird's church. Right? Now, now, keep in mind, he's talking about the church globally here. But I believe that whatever is called for the church globally as much as possible, the church locally should do. So for instance, the global church is very, very diverse. If you're a follower of Jesus, your brothers and sisters in Christ live in China and Africa and Indonesia. They, they're wealthy, they're poor, they, they're educated, they're uneducated. It, it is diverse. And so the local church should also be diverse when possible. So does your local church reflect your community? Is it diverse as your community is, diverse in age, diverse in income, diverse in background, diverse in education, diverse in race. Also, the, the global church uh, is on a mission. God gave the church a mission to go and make disciples. Well, the local church should adopt that mission to make disciples right where we're at. We may not be able to do everything that the church globally is able to do, but can we do what we're called to right here? And so therefore, if Jesus is the head of the church globally, he should also be the head of the church locally. The reason is, is I'm temporary. Yes, God used me to help start Riverwood. But there will come the day when I will no longer lead Riverwood. Whether it's because death takes me, or it, it's time for me to retire, or you guys are finally sick of me. Like, some reason, someday, something will happen, and I will no longer be the lead pastor for Riverwood Church. And yet, I would hope that the Spirit of Christ continues to lead Riverwood Church. That is why you'll never see my name outside on the front of the building. It's why I'm not on the front page of our website. It's why you don't see Jake right there on the website or, or you know, doing what he can to say, come to Riverwood Church and see Jake Epley. Because it's not his church. It's not my church. It's not the elder's church. In fact, it's not even your church. This is God's church. And he's called us together to love one another, to grow together, and to go and make a difference in this world. He's the head of the church because he's over all things. Likewise, he's also over the living. The very next phrase there says that Jesus, and I want to make sure I get it right, that he is the beginning. Not just 
at the beginning or from the beginning. No, he is the beginning. As we're going to see in our next section, he's the creator of all things. All things were created through Christ, in him, by him. Right? So he is the beginning. But what that means, if he is the beginning, that means he was there before Adam and Eve, before plants and animals, before any life. And so because he was in that position before any of it, and he created all of it, he's over the living. But also, he's over the dead. The next phrase is that he is the firstborn from the dead. There's that word again. Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. Just from his ministry on earth, we see him raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. We see him raise a little girl, the, the daughter of a, a synagogue leader from the dead. We see him raise a son of a, a widow from the dead. All right, so just in Jesus' ministry, he raised three people from the dead before he ever rose from the dead. And if you go back in the Old Testament, I know of at least one example in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a prophet named Elisha. There was first Elijah, then his you know, next guy, Elisha. After Elisha died, there was a funeral possession that was taking place. These, these Israelites are carrying their, their dead family member, and they're going to go bury him. When all of a sudden a Moabite raid comes in, I think this is 2 Kings 13, they freak out, they get scared, so they just dump the body into a grave where Elisha's bones are, but as soon as the body of the dead person touches the bones of Elisha, he comes back to life. He's got to climb out of the tomb and then run for his life so he doesn't die again because here come the Moabites. It's kind of a crazy story. So Jesus is not the first to be born from the dead. So again, it means authority. Because you see, whereas the other people were raised to dead by God, Jesus himself rose himself from the dead. He tells us in John chapter 10 that he laid down his life willingly. But then he said, so that I may take it up again. Jesus rose himself from the dead. That takes power. That takes authority. That's why he's the firstborn of the dead. Because he's over all things. He's over the church. He's over the living. And he's even over the dead. Now, to the next one that I uh, alluded to uh, earlier. Jesus is also the creator of all things. Look at verse 16. For by him, uh, you could also translate it in him. Uh, for by him or in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I want you to notice that Paul did not just say that he created all things. He, 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 again, just wants to make it clear. He created all things in heaven, the spiritual realm, and earth, the physical realm. He created all things, the visible, the things you can see, and the invisible, even the things you cannot. He created all of it. That's how powerful he is. But I want you to notice the very last phrase. The very last thing he says there in verse 16 is that he created all these things through him and for him. Uh, a week or two ago on Twitter, uh, a Twitter thread, and I apologize, I can't remember, remember the name of the band, but apparently there was a, a, an artist who had put together this album and people were saying it was their band's greatest album ever, and I think this is from like 20, 25 years ago. But people just raved about this, this album. I think the guy made a ton of money off of it. And yet when they asked him about it, he was like, oh, I, I don't care that people like it. Because it turns out it was a very personal album. 
I don't remember the, the full story, what he was going through at the time, but basically he wrote these songs for himself. It, it was basically his journal. It, it was just kind of a bonus that other people really liked it and resonated with it. But he honestly didn't care. It, for him, this was album was for himself. I, I want you to realize that when God created all things, it ultimately wasn't for you. Now, I, I hope you get some enjoyment out of creation. Like, God did not create it to make you happy, but man, when I'm out in nature, I, I tend to find myself a little happier. Okay? He did not create it to impress you, even though I find myself looking up at a starry sky and I'm impressed. He did not even create it to make you worship him, even though when I see a mountain range, I just can't help but worship God. No, it says that he created it for himself. He is a creative God. It's just who he is. He can't help it. He just creates. But what I want you to realize is that because he creates and he's created all things, it means he's created you. You are created in the image of God. That's why we're going to take five weeks beginning in September to talk about this idea. What does it mean? Because I hope you'll realize it, just how much God loves you. You are not a mistake. You might be going through something really hard and difficult, but God created you, and so therefore he loves you because he created you for him. Then he goes on to let us know that next, he isn't just the creator of all things, he is also the sustainer of all things. Look there at verse 17. And he is before all things. We kind of talked about that uh, from verse 19 with the beginning. But this next phrase. In him, all things hold together. The deists, uh, someone who would be a deist, would believe that God started the world like a watch. And then once it got ticking, he just steps back. But what Paul wants us to realize is God is not like a, a, a mama reptile who lays her eggs and goes like, well, good luck, kids. No, he's intimately involved. He's right there in the workings. He holds us together. So the reason you don't just drift off into space, Jesus is holding you with gravity. The reason your arm doesn't just fall off is he's holding you with skin and muscle and tendons. He is holding you together. But remember, he created all things, both the visible and the invisible, which I believe then means that he can even hold you together in the invisible parts emotionally, spiritually. When you're going through something difficult, what sustains you? I've confessed here many times that for me, I run to entertainment. Whether it's Netflix or something on my phone, a game, I just want to escape. That's what's going to sustain me. Other people, they run to substances. Some people, they run to a certain relationship, a certain hobby. And don't get me wrong, some of these things, they're good. They're great. The problem is, we just make these good things ultimate things, and that's when they become a bad thing. So why am I running to Netflix to sustain me when I have the creator of all things right there to sustain me through all things? Will you let him sustain you? Now, it's not a one-and-done prayer. It's an ongoing, daily wrestling God, will you sustain me today? Will you sustain me for this next hour? Will you hold me together? 
The word that gets translated hold together there in the Greek, it, it, it could also be translated continue or endure. Do you need to continue through something? Are you going through something hard and you need to endure? Run to Jesus. Let him sustain you. Let him hold you. Let him be your super glue of your soul, the rubber band that wraps around you so that you're held together. But Paul wants us to realize one more thing about Jesus. He's not content to just simply sustain us. He's also the reconciler of all things. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, they broke everything. Actually, it's probably theologically more accurate to say that sin broke everything through the rebellious act of Adam and Eve. Uh, think about it. They broke things spiritually. Right? Their relationship with God became broken. They broke things in the emotional realm. Things between Adam and Eve became broken. They broke the physical realm by, by breaking, you know, like suddenly childbirth was going to be painful, labor and on the earth was going to be toil and hard and difficult. I, they, they broke everything. Well, if you were with us two weeks ago when we kicked off the series in Colossians, I, we spent some time in Genesis chapter 3. I wanted you to see that what happened there in Genesis 3, the first sin of Adam and Eve, that God's response to it was the cross. And so therefore, the cross is what God is using to undo the work of Genesis 3. That's why Paul wrote verse 20. And through him, through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The penalty for sin was death. God had warned Adam and Eve of this. But when they sinned, rather than let them pay the penalty themselves, God allowed it to be transferred to some animals. Now, I want you to realize, first of all, God was sustaining everything through this. Even though everything fractured on the spiritual, emotional, physical planes, Jesus still sustained it all. If he wasn't able to sustain it, it would have been like when Thanos snapped his fingers and everyone just turned into dust. We would just be no more. None of us would exist. The fact that we are here in this broken world shows that Jesus sustains but again, he was not content to just let it remain sustained. He didn't just wrap it with some duct tape and call it good. He wanted to bring actual healing, true healing, on the spiritual, emotional, and physical plane. And so he does it through the cross. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately realized they were naked. And it says that they began to take plants and leaves and try to cover themselves. But then we see, as they're being escorted out of the Garden of Eden, they're clothed in animal hide. God made for them clothing, but the only way God got that clothing was through the death of a creature. God had made this animal with life, but because his image was in humans and not in this animal, God killed the animal, took the hide, and covered Adam and Eve. God, though, wanted to reconcile all things to himself. He didn't want more animals to die. He didn't want people to be away. He didn't want the broken relationship. And so Jesus willingly came to this earth and willingly laid down his life for you. 
Because just as he created all things, which includes you, and he can sustain all things, which includes you, he can reconcile all things, including you. And so if you have a broken relationship with God, the reconciliation is through Christ. At Riverwood, we say that we want to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. This is part of where we get this from. If you feel disconnected from God, even if you've gone to church your whole life, the way to see a reconciled relationship with God is through Jesus. Most people, when they realize that they have this broken relationship, they mark the moment in prayer. They confess their sin. God, I realize I have this broken relationship, and it's not because of you, it's because of me. And yet you loved me so much that you came for me. You, Jesus, died for me so that you might reconcile all things to yourself, making peace through your blood of the cross. And so because you, Jesus, gave your life for me, I now give my life to you. In a little bit, we'll be celebrating communion. If you have never prayed that prayer before, given your life to Christ, use that time. Just seek him. Be reconciled. But I also need to point out that not only does the cross of Jesus help to bring healing between us and God, that if, it, if the sin of Adam and Eve brought, brought a broken relationship between them, then the beginning place for us to heal the relationships on this earth is through Christ. It, it is through Christ that we can see races come together. It is through Christ that we can even begin to see, I know this is going to sound impossible, to see political parties come together. It is through Christ that we can see the rich and the poor worship. It is through Christ that we can see all sorts of people come together as one. And so that means if you right now have a struggle in your marriage, there's a broken relationship, or you have a, a broken relationship with a parent or with a, with a child, maybe a broken relationship with a former coworker, a current coworker, maybe with a neighbor, maybe with a former church member, maybe someone even within our church now, the beginning place for reconciliation is Christ. Now, I cannot guarantee that if you just pray a prayer, God, I want to see this relationship reconciled, that God will just make it happen. Because it's got to take two to come together. But I can at least tell you that if you, at least, if you don't come to Christ, if you don't humble yourself, you're probably not going to see it happen. But if you long to have reconciliation with that other person, begin on your knees. Chase after Jesus, who brought reconciliation between us and God, and say, would you now help bring reconciliation here? Now, this might be humbling, because as you surrender yourself to God, wanting this reconciliation, you may realize, I've done certain things to contribute to this brokenness. So this might be a painful journey for you, but it's going to be worth it, because on the other side is something beautiful. So do you have a broken relationship? Begin with Christ, because he's the reconciler of all things. So Paul wants us to know that Jesus wasn't just some cool dude. He wasn't just some spiritual guru. He wasn't just another earthly king. He's the God of all things. And as God, he is over all things, the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things and the reconciler of all things.
But now let's go back to the beginning. After hearing all of this, do you realize that you've had a wrong impression? Maybe you feel like God hasn't been there for you. And so you've not been recognizing Jesus as God of all things. You have a theological understanding of who he is. You maybe have a little bit of practical experience with church growing up, and so you know some stories. But if you really, truly examine your heart, maybe you realize you've been living more like a deist or even like a practical atheist. And you're not recognizing Jesus as God of all things. Maybe as you examine your heart, you realize that your prayers have been kind of pathetic lately. There has not been a whole lot of trust that your prayers reveal that you've had the impression that Jesus isn't truly over all things. You haven't been willing to give him these things. You've been trying to hold on to him, take care of him, because he just doesn't seem to do things the way I want and the timing I want, so I guess I got to take care of this. And right now, God's saying, trust me with that. That situation, that relationship, the, the financial crisis, the health, give it to me because I am over all things. Maybe some of you, you don't like yourself. When God made you, you think he must have made a mistake. I'm going to tell you right now, he did not. He is the creator of all things, and he created you. Because you're his creation, he loves you. He's passionate for you. Do you know how passionate he is for you? He was willing to die for your sins. He gave it all. And so if you've been beating yourself up, you're having this negative talk underneath, stop it. That's God's creation that you are verbally slandering and beating up. Instead, let yourself see that God loves you because he created you. He's creator of all things, including you. Now, it doesn't mean that whatever you're going through, the, the certain feelings are just going to magically change. But at least it's the beginning of the journey because through the gospel, not only can it heal our relationship with God and heal our relationship with others, it can also heal our relationship with ourselves. Maybe some of you, you're going through something really, really difficult right now and you just want to give up. You do not want to endure. You do not want to continue. And yet you're now hearing that Jesus is sustainer of all things. He wants to correct the wrong impression you've had that you're not going to make it. Instead, he wants you to run to him and let him sustain you to hold you. Or maybe you've got a broken relationship and you realize you have not been seeking after God or you just haven't cared about this human relationship and now you're feeling God saying, give it to me, let me bring reconciliation, let me bring healing, let me bring restoration. Let's go on this journey together. If you possibly in one of those five had the wrong impression, now's the time to give it to him. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in a song as we uh, open up the communion tables. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come. I invite you to, to come to these elements to, to seek after Jesus. And, and as you hold it, realize that God 
delighted for his full presence to reside in the human of Jesus, the only perfect human to have ever lived, but yet he went and died in our place so that we might have peace through his blood. And so maybe today as you hold those elements, you need to take those realizing that it was the God of all things who gave himself for you. Maybe for you, you need to reestablish your trust in him. And so you're gonna take this today realizing Jesus is over all things. Some of you, as you're seeking healing in your view of yourself, you're gonna need to worship him today as the creator of all things, including you. Some of you, you need to worship him today as the sustainer. Some of you right now, this is your chance to be reconciled. In uh, the gospels, Jesus is talking to his Jewish audience and he tells them if, if you have something against someone, then when you're coming to the temple to worship and you're, you're giving your offering, you're, you're giving your gift, and you realize, I've got this broken relationship. He says, set your gift aside and go and make things right. Because these human relationships are so key and critical. They affect our, our heavenly relationship. And so maybe some of you, before you go to these elements, you actually need to pull out your phone and send a text. You need to text someone saying, hey, can we talk later today? Maybe you're going to actually need to slip out and go make a phone call. Or maybe there's someone here that you need to just walk over and say, hey, can we talk? Because God wants to see complete reconciliation. So maybe before you come to these elements, you need to have a horizontal repairing before you go back to the vertical. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for this next moment. Holy Spirit, there is absolutely nothing that can stop you. Humans try to set up borders. Countries have tried to shut you out. We've tried to ignore you. And yet, you are able to come into this building, into this room, into the minds and hearts of these people. And so, God, I just give you absolute permission, even though you do not need my permission to do anything to do what you want to and need to do in these next moments. Heavenly Father, these are your people. You know them. Your image is in them. You love them. And that is why I ask that you now do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, pour upon them. Flow into them. Flow through them. Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are and what you did. We are so grateful you went to a cross to make peace through your blood so that we could be reconciled to you and we could be reconciled with one another. And so that's why, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you do what you need to do, that if someone here needs to be reminded that you are God, draw them to you in that way. If they need to be reminded of your sovereignty, bring that to their mind and heart. If they need to see you as creator, let them worship you as such. If they need to see that you are sustaining them, May they fall on their knees and thank you for that. God, whatever we need, would you do? Because it is absolutely impossible for me as one person to minister to every heart in the exact perfect way. That is why I'm so grateful that you are a God who knows us and loves us. So God, as we sing, as we partake of the elements, as we pray, may you minister, may you heal, may you restore May you reconcile. 
Would you help us to have the right impression and realize that you, Jesus, are God of all things. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So at any time during the song, feel free to get up and go to the tables. This next moment are for you and God to deal with together. But as you take those elements, be sure to do that in remembrance of him.